0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to First Peter chapter 2, First Peter. And the ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and they also, we have some helpers handing out kids' packs for kids. And so we love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word in your hand. And so if you need a copy of God's Word this morning so you can follow along in the passage, just raise your hand, and our ushers will hand you one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home. That's our gift to you, to be able to take God's Word, read it, and allow God's Word to change and to do a work in your life. If you have a Bible at home, and you just didn't bring it, well, bring it next week, all right? Because we are people of the Word. We want to be in the Word. We want to be looking like the chickens in the chicken coop. I was out at a friend's place this past week, and I saw their chickens and their heads go up and down, and that's what we want of your heads here, in the Word, looking up, not at me, at the screen, at stuff to write down, and up and down, up and down as we examine God's Word together. You know, there are certain things that we do in church when it comes to church or just in life in general that we do out of routine routine and sometimes out of tradition, and sometimes we just have no clue why we do what we do. And I remember as a young guy in church being rather inquisitive, and and I remember one time asking my dad, Dad, what does it mean when the song leader, more traditional time, would just come up and he would go like this, and as he would go like this, you know, and, and what would happen? everyone would stand up. And I said, why does he do that? He says, you know, to get everyone to stand up. And then I, I also noticed that every Sunday, our pastor would take his watch off and put it on the pulpit next to him. And I said, dad, why does he take his watch off and put it there? And what does that mean? What does that mean? He says, it means nothing at all. You know, and, and so, uh, you know, sometimes things have a reason and a purpose and sometimes they don't. But we do things at times out of tradition and, and we do things and, and, and we don't even know why. One of the kind of family traditions that Charlotte has uh, now brought into our family that has been passed down to her, part of her Ukrainian Russian heritage, <laughs> what a combination that is, believe you me and um, you get together for family gatherings it's exciting, but one of the things at Easter is they will make an Easter bread called Pascha and um, you'll see it in, in, um, on, on the screen there, it is an Easter bread, kind of egg bread that is slightly sweetened and super delicious, made at Easter time And part of that tradition, for some reason, is you bake that bread in tin cans. And we even have in our garage some tin cans of different sizes that are used, coffee cans and some um, nut cans of different sorts and, and, and you, you, you bake this bread in there and Charlotte has asked her parents why do they do that and, and, she, and, and her parents say, well, I don't know, that's what our parents did and no one seems to know why and even online it seems it's a thing you do, you bake it in coffee cans or in tin cans in this way, no one knows why. Well, we're in this sermon series called This Is Us and we are going to be exploring some of the things that we do and sometimes these things could easily just become tradition. It's things we do in church or that we hear or we preach about and we sometimes have to take a step back and say, why do we even do this? Why is this important? What in the world does this mean? And and one of the things that... Oftentimes here at Hope Bible Church that we love to do is preach through the entire entire books of the Bible. We just finished the book of Titus, and 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 then we have also taken other significant passages of Scripture, and we have, have taken those and have worked through them line by line. Right now we're going to be in a little bit of a topical series for the next little while called This Is Us, Proclaiming the Excellencies of Him Who Called Us, and, and some of the things that we do in church or that we do in our lives, ways that proclaim Him, but oftentimes we can lose the reason and the understanding as to why we do it, why we do some of these certain practices, because easily they become routine, and perhaps your children in the service here together with us, or even for you, even wonder, why do we even do this? And this sermon series is based out of the passage 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, and, and, and this time we'll cheat a little bit and put these verses up on the screen for you, and, uh, and and this is kind of the launch pad passage for this series. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we understand that, first of all, just to set the context, the apostle Peter is writing to Christians who were discouraged, who had been ostracized, oftentimes by family, because of their faith in choosing to follow Jesus Christ, to be baptized, and to live a life honoring to Christ. They were being ostracized by family, in business, but also facing growing persecution from the Roman government by Nero. And and so their decision to follow Christ was a serious decision that cost them dearly. And they were ready to pay the price for it. And so Peter's reminding them to not be discouraged, to trust in the Lord. And so he's writing them, keep focused on Christ, keep focused on the mission that he's called you and I to be a part of. And so here is kind of this this launch pad passage for us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the key words, the key passage, the key words in there are that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Regardless of your circumstances, he's saying to the Christians then, And even to each one of us here today, regardless of where you're at in life, no matter what you are facing, we are called and we have been equipped and strengthened and empowered to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And you see, God I mean, God's not just sim- simply interested in, in building a gathering of people that show up 9.30 on a Sunday morning, you know, once a week and, and when it's convenient, neither is our salvation just something, a date that we've written in our Bibles and maybe a baptism that we're clinging to. Our salvation is so much more than that, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's more of a pursuit that we are to have, you see, our salvation and God has not saved us for a Sunday morning and for a date in, in a Bible that we've written down. Our lives are to glorify him, not just to go out and live our own pursuits and do what we've wanted, thinking we've secured a place in heaven because I've done the religious things, so I'm good. Not so fast with that kind of thinking. You see, God saves us for his purposes, for his glory. See, he's building something greater, something larger. And and in the verses previous to this in in 1 Peter, he's talking about building a house, a family, a people, a temple, through and with his people. And that is what he calls us to. He's building it with messed up people like you and me, with sinners like you and me, who have come initially, and then continually in our lives to that end of ourselves where we just say, I'm done. I'm done with my sin. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I want to run from it. I want to turn from it. I'm done with trying to work my way to heaven. I'm done with trying to clean myself up so that maybe God in his mercy would accept me. It's people who say that on a daily basis, but say it initially in their lives, and then by placing your faith and your trust completely, your confidence in Jesus Christ, who died that sacrificial death for us on the cross. Absorbing, taking the wrath of God that was coming our way, that is coming towards all sinners. And Jesus came and he absorbed that wrath on the cross. He took our punishment. So that instead of wrath, we receive righteousness. We we receive forgiveness and cleansing. This is the great exchange. This is a phenomenal theological, biblical, but practical, life-giving, eternal truth that we have from God's word. He's building a people like you and me. People who have repented and turned from their sins in exchange for this exchange of our sins. We receive his righteousness his cleansing, His mercy, and we want to serve Him and follow Him. And we have the incredible promise of eternal life. We get some beautiful scenery shots here in this part of the world, don't we? We're so blessed. Don't get arrogant about it. Be humble. Be thankful. Be grateful that perhaps you get to, to, to live or you get to visit um, these beautiful spots. Although, you know what? There are beautiful spots all over Canada, even Saskatchewan. Yes, it does, and, and, and I'm a big proponent of the prairies, and, and, and in Alberta, you get to see the, the winds of change. You get to see, the, uh, see and hear the pictures of the tornadoes, and you just, oh, just crazy, some of the stuff that can go on. We live in this world that is so beautiful, so amazing, so mind-blowingly amazing, and yet, none of it, not even a glimpse of what we experience here in all the beauty will ever compare with the glories of heaven that is coming for God's children. Amen? That's coming your way in Christ because of Christ, not because of your awesomeness, not because of anything that you have done, but all because of his mercy and his grace towards us. He has saved us in that way. And all who call him as Lord and savior, When that happens and we turn from our sin, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our life and starts to transform and change us from the inside out. We're done with the externals trying to impress God or trying to impress others. It's about God changing us inside out. We want to praise Him. We want to live for Him. We want to serve Him. But what this does is it links us together. We lock arms. We link arms together In a spiritual family, here at Hope Bible Church in Kelowna, with other Great Commission collective churches around this world and and, and many other believers in other denominations and church family that uphold to the gospel teaching in this way, we are being built together as a spiritual house, as it's referred to in 1 Peter, as living stones. It's not talking about getting stoned. That's really kind of popular these days. It's not about that. We're living, active stones being built into a house. Why? To proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Not about promoting yourself, but promoting Christ in and through your life. And and some of the ways that we can proclaim his excellencies are by what we do here on a Sunday morning and what we celebrate as a church. You see, Jesus gave two commands to his church. He gave two very specific commands of what we are to do as a church. Something that we do initially for the first time, And then either we continue it continually or we come back to it as a reminder of our faith. And what I'm talking about, these two commands, these two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about baptism. Today, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Oftentimes, it's the first Sunday out of the month. Is there any reason why we do that? No, it's just easy to remember and to put it that we want to celebrate it. And so, it's been an easy thing. And and just generally, we celebrate the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of the month, just as we will today. There's nothing in, in the Bible or anything that says how often you should do it. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it four times a year or on a more limited amount. Some will do it twice a month. It all depends. But these are two specific ways the Lord's Supper we'll talk about today and baptism that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us. And not only are these proclamations to the watching world around us, As they come to understand why we do what we do. But they are proclamations and reminders for you and for me and for the body of Christ. And so this morning, I encourage you in your notes to write this down. There's going to be some things for you to write down that we proclaim Jesus through the Lord's Supper. And, and uh, these two key passages we're going to look at today, first of all, in, in Matthew 26, so you can have your Bibles ready there. and then in a little while we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 11. The first one in Matthew 26 is where Jesus initiates the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, a few decades later that it was written, is what the Lord's Supper was starting to become. We see how Jesus initiated, but we see how so easily we can lose the significance, the meaning, the power, and actually eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. Serious warning, but also a glorious truth that we get to examine today. And so the first one found in Matthew 26 And so I'm going to read starting at verse 17. You can follow along in your Bible. So head down, looking at your Bibles this morning. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them And they prepared the Passover. And so here, the first thing that we see is we see Jesus. And we proclaim Jesus in the Lord's Supper. And we proclaim Jesus as leader, as teacher. We see him as master. But then also, we also see him in this as a servant. We see Jesus' obedience, first of all, in keeping the Old Testament. Jesus was Jewish by uh, human birth. Mary and Joseph, and Mary was a Jew, and so, so was Joseph, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so here we have Jesus, though, keeping all the Old Testament laws and practices. And so he celebrated Passover for his 33 years that he was on the earth. The Passover celebration was a part of his life. Now, as a leader of a group, of a group of, of, of religious people, he is now overseeing, giving oversight with great insight to the Passover. He's directing the disciples on how to get things set up, and he says, you're going to go into the city, you're going to see this, you're going to do this, and everything's going to be set up in this way. And the Passover is something that God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, have celebrated for centuries as they took time annually to remember the what? The exodus out of Egypt. As they remembered God's delivery of them from slavery. And so Jesus, as seen here as the teacher, as the rabbi, as the leader of his disciples, is organizing and presiding over this Passover together with his friends, with his disciples. As tradition, as instructed in In Exodus, in God's word, as Moses instructed the people, that the head of the household was, at the time of Passover, there were various things that they would do and observe, but the leader of the Passover, or of the household, would take and organize the Passover events, which would mean they would take an unblemished lamb, sometimes a goat, to the temple, where the blood would be spilled out on the altar. The fat would then be burnt as a sacrifice to God, The carcass, the meat would then be taken home, and they would eat it in a feast together with bread and certain herbs. This is what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Jesus, as the leader, the teacher, and the master. And as I said, the servant. Because in John's account of this, in John chapter 13, we see Jesus taking the form of a servant. He gets down and he washes the feet of his disciples. That was the job, the job for a lowly slave. For, for I mean, that was like below, the below people. Like that was just not a good thing to have to do. But they had over, there was an oversight. No one had prepared that. But maybe it wasn't because Jesus was giving organization to this. And he took the form of a servant, of a slave, and he washed his disciples' feet. And in John, he says, you call me teacher and master. And he says, yes, this is true. But then he says, but I'm also a servant. And he turns around to his disciples and says, from now on, you wash one another's feet. You wash the feet of the disciples, meaning you be a servant. You take the lowly position. You do the tough, grunt work the one that has no glory, the one that you can say, well, that's reserved for you know, people lower than me. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And so Jesus is obeying and fulfilling the requirements of the law in celebrating the Passover. And as he is also, he, he's also getting ready to institute a new observance, the Lord's Supper that we're gonna be talking about and then partaking of at the end of this message today. And as he is doing this, we see some important things and we can observe some very important truths and freedoms. You see, the Passover is a reminder of past deliverance, but what he's going to celebrate here as part of the Lord's Supper is a freedom and a deliverance from the power of sin and death. And I wonder today, who is Jesus to you? When you partake of the Lord's Supper and if you partake of the Lord's Supper a little later on, Is Jesus your leader, teacher, master? Are you a servant like him? You see, this is who the Lord's Supper is for. This was who was around Jesus at this time. You see, Jesus came not only as a servant who washed the feet of his disciples, he came as the suffering servant, as the prophet Isaiah prophesied about hundreds of years before, that would give himself as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. So today is Jesus your leader? Is he your teacher? Is he your master today? And don't be too quick to answer that. Okay, we can so off. So yeah, 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 yeah. I believe all that. Yeah, yeah. I've done this a hundred times, or you know, like lived a long time, have a lot of community. You know, like yes, Jesus is my leader. Is he really? You see, is he your teacher today? Is he leading your life? He's referred to as the living word. The Bible is the word of God, which is the word of Christ. Does God's word have authority in your life today? Or is it just a suggestion book? You know what God's word says, but I choose to believe this. Then God's word and Jesus is not your teacher today. He is not your master. God's word is more than a suggestion book it is our reference guide it is our authority in life and so do we follow Jesus as ruler as master as boss or are we king and queen of our life I'm the one calling the shots and and Jesus better get on my page and my agenda and if he doesn't I'm going to kind of cuss him out a little bit and I'm going to give it to him where are you godly like, you're supposed to come along and you're supposed to just support me in everything that I'm doing it doesn't work that way not the way it goes. And sadly, we can often think of Jesus as just our helper, the one who follows us around to make our lives happy, grants us our wishes, our dreams, helps our plans to come true and to give us nice, tingly feelings every once in a while. If a tracking device was on you this past week that recorded your every activity... (laughs) <laughs> Don't worry, it's probably already happening with cell phones. So, you know, uh, that, that just might be uh, taking place. But if that tracking device could also capture your thoughts, your thoughts even right now, would Jesus be your leader, your teacher, your master, and are you a servant like him? Or would it reveal that you are the Lord of your life? Is Jesus the Lord of your time, of your wallet, of your viewing, of your schedule, of your calendar, of your career goals, of your thoughts, of your motivations. You see, the Lord's Supper is about proclaiming Jesus and our allegiance to him. I don't know about you, but I have fallen short in these areas this week. I have. And I'm so grateful for a God who forgives, a God who is gracious and will meet me here today as I partake of the Lord's Supper with many of you. And so we proclaim Christ by partaking of the Lord's Supper, by proclaiming that Jesus is our leader, our teacher, our master, and we desire to be a servant like him. But second of all, we proclaim Jesus who knows our hearts. He knows exactly what is going on. In your mind, even right now, he's knowing your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, your motivations this week. Look at verse 20 as we continue to read here. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And there were, and, and they were sorrowful and began to say one to another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And the son of man goes as it was written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better that, that man if he had not been born. Judas, who was about to betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. What a seen this is! Jesus enjoying this feast. They're laughing. They're talking. They're enjoying this lamb. They're enjoying the bread. They're enjoying uh, just this wonderful time together of celebrating God's deliverance in their lives. And things were amping up pretty good for Jesus because, you know, the the, the public opinion polls were really trending in his favor. And and it looks like he was going to be named King of the Jews. He was going to, like, just with all those awesome miracles he was going to be, that, that he had performed. I mean, it's going to be nothing for him to destroy the romans and 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 even around that table there's a no doubt discussion going on about where the disciples would fit in his cabinet what kind of cabinet position will there be for me and even parents getting involved in some of that discussion a little bit beforehand too and 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 things were trending really really well for jesus and for the disciples and then jesus drops the bombshell and says one of you will betray me and there would have been silence in that room could have heard a pin drop. And the room goes silent. And then it's, you hear, was it I? Am it is it I? Is it I? Twelve times. Is it I? Is it I? Even Judas, is it I? Even he's sitting there already have made plans to betray Jesus. But he sounded, he looked like all the others. but He was an imposter. Judas was a fake. He was playing the part. He had been with Jesus, with the other disciples, for three years, three and a half years almost, and 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 he was there partaking of the Passover as a friend. But in reality, Judas was an outsider. Judas never truly turned to his heart. And his heart was never surrendered to Jesus. As you continue, as, as you look back in the Gospels, you see a few little sights and a few little pictures of Judas. And you started to think, okay, some things here didn't quite add up. But just as all 12 of them asked, is it I, is it I? Today, we must be answering this, asking the same question. Am I the real deal? Am I one of your followers, Jesus? This is what the Lord's Supper commands of us to look at and to examine our lives. Am I really in love with Jesus or... Is this just a church thing I simply am kind of doing to follow tradition? It's good for us. It's to get that, you know, perhaps to to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or one-day wife, find a church girl, they said. So, you know, or find a church boy, you know. So I'm going to try church, and hopefully that will work out better than perhaps the bar or wherever else it might be. or You know, I like to go to church because it makes me feel good. Or, you know, it's just something that, you know, I just feel I need to get that little religion. Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just a means to your own ends? And as soon as he doesn't deliver, you're out. As soon as things go sideways or south, you walk. You see, what Jesus is able to see, what's truly, as he could see in the hearts of his disciples, he could also see what was in the heart of Judas. And what is in our heart will be revealed someday or eventually on that final day. And Judas what a tragic end to a life. You see, not all followers are followers of Jesus. You can run in the herd. You can be in the church. You can be baptized. You can have membership. You can be involved. You can teach. You can preach. You can do all kinds of different things and yet truly not believe, never have turned your heart. You can be in the crowd. You can sing. You can talk. You can work. You can do all these things. But where is your heart really? You know where your heart is. Is your heart surrendered to him today? Or is it about more your agenda, your way, your wants? And over the long haul, is there a life pattern of surrender to Jesus? Or is it about more about you and your agenda? Is there spiritual fruit that is visible? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Over the long haul of your life, over, you know, six months, two years, three years, are you growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control or would the opposite of that get flustered and mad easily are there areas and and there's always going to be things that we're going to keep working on lord knows there's so much in my life but is there growth is there progression is there a heart and desire to follow jesus be surrendered to him you see when we proclaim the lord's the excellencies of Christ, by partaking in the Lord's Supper as Lord, Master, teacher, we desire to be servants like Him and know that He knows our hearts, have been watching, just over the last number of weeks, just a tragedy play out in the Christian community, in the evangelical community lately, in the larger community in North America, another high-profile pastor. He started out as a young Christian author wrote a very successful best-selling book in the area of dating for Christians. Then he became a megachurch pastor, very large church, large follower. A few years ago, stepped away from the ministry and just, I believe it was not this week, the week before, announced on Instagram that he and his wife were separating, divorcing actually, that they had just grown apart and had other interests. And then a few days after that, he announced... That he is no longer a Christian. It's caused quite the ripple in the Christian community, a lot of questions. Can one truly depart from the faith? Where was this guy? Is he just a prodigal who has just turned his back and is just being deceived right now, or did he believe in the first place? This asks the question, can a person be a Christian and then not be a Christian? Can a Christian lose their faith? Can they walk away? Can they say, I'm done? No, folks, the Bible is clear that once a person is regenerated, a genuine Christian, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even our own sin that we may fall into. And even after experiencing conversion, faith, regeneration, One can and may sin and greatly influence and hurt the body of Christ or the family or even the larger community like we're seeing here. But if they're truly saved, if they're in Christ, they will eventually come back. Yeah, there'll be carnage, but God's grace will be there. And yet others will show and prove themselves to be a Judas, a fake Someone who was there. Someone who is described in 1 John 2.19 where it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Never authentic. It's the parable in Matthew 13 that Jesus was talking about, the parable of the seeds, that describes the person who shows initial signs of faith shows initial signs of spiritual life, but then eventually just kind of dies off and goes away, revealing their faith really never took root. There is not a genuine faith there. You see, truth and time will reveal. For this celebrity, former celebrity pastor and author, only time and perhaps eternity will reveal if there is a genuine faith there, if there's followed by repentance at some point in his life, or if he is just an imposter. We don't know that. We can't make that judgment. We cannot judge if someone's in the faith or not. Only God knows that. But this is why the Lord's Supper is so important where we take and we deeply examine our lives. We proclaim what Christ has done. It's a physical act of a kingdom, theological, biblical, doctrinal reality of what takes place when we partake of the Lord's Supper. This is why we ought to examine our hearts every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. You see, there was another disciple. There was Judas, but there was another one, and I like this guy. Sometimes I think I'm so much like him, and just I've got such a big mouth, and it gets you in trouble, and he come back to a merciful Lord. Who am I talking about? Peter, the one who authored 1 Peter, this apostle of Jesus, who... He also was saying, is it I? Is it I? Lord, is it I that will, deny, that, that will betray you? Not I. Only hours later, denied Christ, not just once, but three times, emphatically cursing that he ever knew him. But the difference with Peter is he ran back to Jesus in repentance and found forgiveness. And then there was Judas who ran away and died in his sin. The third thing that we see here when it comes to proclaiming Christ by partaking the Lord's Supper is the last one here you can write this down is we proclaim Jesus through the Lord's Supper as the Lamb of God verse 26 now as they were eating Jesus took bread and after blessed it broke it and gave thanks gave, gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink it all of you drink all of it of you for this is my blood Of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is replacing the Passover now with the Lord's Supper, and he's declaring the new covenant. He says, the Passover, be thankful for it. That was a sign of God's deliverance. But something greater is going to be happening. In the Exodus, we see that the blood of the lamb saved Israel from slavery. But today and now, as Jesus is instituting that the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, that would be Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. And Jesus He took bread in that time with his disciples. He took that bread and he broke it in his hands. You see, bread was an important staple in their diet. Back in the, in the ancient Near East. It was kind of a bread, a flat bread that would be used. And it was served virtually with every meal. Oftentimes it was used so in the place of eating utensils. So you wouldn't have a fork or a spoon. Instead you would use this bread, kind of like a pita bread, to kind of sop everything up. You ever have one of those relatives that saves the bread on turkey you know, on, on Christmas dinner. And, and uses the bread at the end to kind of clean up everything on the plate. And mm, isn't that just delicious? Yeah. Love it. Oh, yeah, just mix that gravy, the cranberry. I'm one of those guys. Charlotte actually has an aunt that would take other people's stuff on their plate and put it all together on hers and enjoy it. And, yeah, that was just going a little bit too far for that kind of enjoyment. But, but, but anyways, getting a little off topic here, this, this bread, this, they would take this bread and they would use it. So it was a staple. It was something that was, was life to them, that they would eat bread with every meal. And, and here it was being dipped in various spices and oils. And as Jesus broke bread before them, he was declaring, this is my body. This is a staple in your life. This is something that is so important. And then he breaks it and he says, my body will be broken for you. It is through my body, through my brokenness, through what they're going to do to me on the cross, that you will find life. Eat it. Eat all of it. Then he took the cup, a quarter, they believe it was about a quarter wine and three quarters water, because wine back then, it was almost undrinkable if it was left undiluted. And the cup, he takes the cup in his hand, and he says, this represents the blood that is shed for you. And even today, blood represents life, doesn't it? I have a niece who has a very rare skin disorder, and and because of that, she gets a lot of infections. And and, and with that, she gets depleted because just her little body cannot take the infections and everything that she goes through. And at certain points, she gets so depleted and so weak that they take her for a blood transfusion. And when they transfuse that new blood, that fresh blood, that healthy blood into her body, it's just like all of a sudden she goes from very low to her coloring, everything changes because in blood, there's life. And as Jesus' blood was spilt on the cross, for us, there was life. There was forgiveness. There was cleansing. There's so many pictures alive here in the cup in what we will be partaking, representing the blood of Christ. And folks, this is more than just a mental act. This is as we partake of it, it's a physical act and it's a reminder that Christ is with us. That, that as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, that I am with Christ and Christ is with me. It's just a reminder of that. It's only a symbol. It doesn't become his body. It doesn't become his actual blood. But is it a symbol and a reminder to us? And it's our choice to share in his life, in his power. And oh, we need his power in our life. It's a way that we say, I'm following his footsteps. I'm laying down my life. In surrender to Jesus. You see, the Lord's Supper is extremely important that we take time to examine. It's a way that we declare, I am His and He is mine. He is my leader, my teacher, my master, and I desire to serve like Him. He's one who knows my heart and He knows my wandering heart, but He's also the Lamb of God who forgives. That when we see that we mess up in these ways, He is a merciful Savior. And we repent of our sin and we tell him we are sorry. And we, as we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just. But that means that we just don't, whoop, and then we go out and do it again. And we desire to turn. We want to grow. We want to learn. We stop it and we, we have others walk with us, hold us in account in our lives so that we can stay strong in our love, in our relationship with Christ. But sadly... In 1 Corinthians 11, you can turn in your Bibles there. We're going to look there quickly and then we're going to worship the Lord together in celebrating the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, we see what the Lord's Supper can easily become. You see, the Lord's Supper can easily just become an occasion, an event, and kind of the leftover, kind of at the end of something else. And, and it can easily be turned into a ritual. And not even to know it, we can be eating and drinking judgment upon ourselves as the people were in 1 Corinthians. This was only like two decades after Jesus instituted the original Lord's Supper, the early church we see started to, to observe this, but now about 20 years later, we see it's getting all messed up. It's all messed up. And here's the second and final thing today that you can write down. We profane Christ by partaking of the Lord's Supper, and we're going to look in the following ways that we can profane the Lord's Supper Verse 18, it says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions among you. And I believe it, in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine must uh, among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat, for in eating, each of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you then? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. He's writing this. I mean, if he was texting this, it would have been all in caps, wouldn't it? It would have been with some very serious emojis that would have gone with this, like that steam, steamed anger kind of red face kind of emoji. Just, you know, Paul is just right ticked here. And, and here's the thing, we can profane Christ in the Lord's Supper when we you can write these down when we are not right with others, when we are living selfish lives, when there's unconfessed sin. The church in Corinth, the church would gather weekly as oftentimes the New Testament church would. We see that pattern developing just as the church does today. And they would gather together oftentimes in the evening after work when the slaves would be able to come in and they would be, and the workers could all come in and they could... could um, have a time of worship together but what they would first of all do before celebrating the lord's supper is they would have the agape feast that was called back then we find this in uh, ancient writings historical writings and they would gather together and have this agape feast and uh, what do we call that today potluck right and who doesn't love a good church potluck Look at some of the pictures of some of our potlucks that we've had over the years. And, and, oh, there's so many of those that if you just zoom in and if you take a look at some, there's some deviled eggs, I think, on every, I mean, angelic eggs on pretty much every one of those tables. I mean, just amazing, amazing food. And, and, and food is a big part of church. It should be because it's going to be one of the first things we're going to be doing in heaven. Right? The marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we're just, when we have potluck, we're just rehearsing for heaven. Amen? Oh, you guys don't share that same excitement with me? When we have potluck, that's just rehearsal for heaven, amen? Yeah, right on, bring those eggs on, you know, and uh, anyways, I mean, I kind of laugh like, I mean, if you're in this church very long, you find out we enjoy our food and a lot of food events and which is wonderful, again, rehearsal for heaven. But um, here's one of the pictures of the food event at one of our ladies' conferences Look at how nice, th- I mean, things just laid out perfectly, all in line, every cup counted, and I, you know, I'm sure they, you know, like, uh, yeah, anyways, you just see that, I mean, picture of beauty, and then uh, from one of our men's conferences, yeah, there you go, just, <laughs> just, just give us the carbs, give us the fat, and, and those are big tubs of mayo and mustard in there, you know, just bring it on, and those are sub sandwiches that are, we used at our last men's conference, what were they, eight or nine feet long each? Yeah, and they got eaten, um, some by George and L on the way home. Uh, many of us have good memories of that. Anyways, I mean, f- f- eating, feasting is awesome, and that's what the early church was doing. They were gathering together for the agape feast, for, for potluck, but here's what was happening some people brought lots of food. And find food. And then there was others who were poor or didn't have time. They came straight from work and they didn't bring food. And, and so the people who brought food started to despise the other people because they were pigging out on their food. And, and, and so they're like, you know what? You didn't bring food. And, you know, I brought the fancy food. So we're going to be off in this corner eating our food on our blanket over here. And you go and you eat your food over here. Or you have nothing. This is what was going on in the church. And then they're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And Paul says, No. No, you're not. Exclamation mark. Forget it. That's not going to be happening. As, as we see people from diverse backgrounds. And so Paul is, is saying that, how dare you? How dare you celebrate the Lord's Supper when you're not right with others? He says there's divisions among you. And, and, and those divisions were probably just not over potluck. Those divisions were bigger than that. They were racial, Ethnic. They were over things that probably happened years ago and and still holding on to some bitterness, some unforgiveness. We profane the Lord's Supper when we partake and we're being self-centered when our lives are just revolving around us. And that's what was happening here. But it's also when there's unconfessed sin in our life. Paul tells us in, in verse 27 that we ought to examine ourselves before we partake of the Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord's Supper is to bring us back to the one who saved us, who called us, who forgave us, who broke down every barrier, who broke every chain so we could be in relationship with him. And that's why Paul says, there ought to be no divisions, no selfishness, no unconfessed sin. Look at in verse 27, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner, meaning divisions, meaning living a self-centered life. Meaning, you've got something that you're holding on to, not forgiving. You're holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness. He says, whoever drinks in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And listen to this, and that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. This is serious. The seriousness of division in the body of Christ, the bitterness, the unforgiveness that can run rampant in our lives. That's why Romans 12, Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Some people you're just not going to be able to live at peace with. But as so much as it depends on you, live at peace with them. Don't talk about them, don't gossip about, don't backbite, don't get even with them. Live at peace as much as you are able with people. Own your side. This speaks of the seriousness of being selfish or self-centered living. And all as well as the seriousness of unconfessed sin. And this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper, encourage you to examine your heart, your life. Are any of us worthy on our own? Absolutely not. But because of Christ, He qualifies us and makes us worthy. And that is why I encourage you, and even as the band comes up now and as we partake of the Lord's Supper, take time in the next few moments to examine your heart, to check your life, to ask the Lord the question hey, is it I? Is it I? Am I authentic? Am I real? Am I following you? Are you my Lord? Are you my Savior? Or am I just kind of going through the motions and hoping one day something might kick in? It can kick in today as we surrender our hearts to him and ask for him to forgive us, to cleanse us. See, we can profane Christ by partaking the Lord's Supper, but if we go to the other screen, we can also proclaim Christ, and that's what we want to do here today. As you partake after spending time in confession and examining your heart, confessing, asking him to forgive you of your sins, and recommit your life to Jesus, I desire to you to be my leader, my teacher, my master, and I want to serve like you. Jesus, I know that you know my heart. Would you examine my heart and would I be quick to confess any area of sin and giving thanks and worship to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Let's bow our heads. And so God, even now, in this time together, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood, broken, poured out for us. And as we partake today, Lord, would it it be with examined hearts and lives, living for your honor and your glory.